0: titled this morning's message, The Evidence of the Work of God. Today we start on a new journey for our morning services. And the journey will enable us, by God's grace, to study expositionally the book of Titus. To just share a few thoughts with you right at the beginning, where we have just finished John and then had a couple of messages related to the new year and direction with the church and last week with communion. How does Pastor Dan determine the books that he studies? It would be easy for me to stand up in front of you and to simply say, well, God led me this way and that's what I do. But I want you to understand again how that works. Uh, I do pray about direction as the Lord would have me to go. I do listen to suggestions from the congregation. I do weigh on that. I do weigh on the input that happens in elders' meetings. Oftentimes, the elders and I will discuss, as I'm nearing the end of a book before the chapters end and so on, where are we going. And I listen to suggestions and prayfully consider all of that. I also try to weigh the congregation, so that you know this in my prayer life. I try to ask the Lord to give us direction as a church, whether that's the morning or the evening service, in what to study that would be relevant and relative to our circumstances as a local church, not others, and to what would be best uh, for us to study. That's just part of my prayer life and part of my preparation. And then, as I believe the Lord would have me to do, then get into a particular book or topical study. That's just so you know, it's not based upon just me alone, it is input. It does take time as I process all of these things and I do take it serious before the Lord. So, all of that to say, do I believe the Lord's leading in it? Yes. And I believe this is the timing for us to get into the particular book that we will study. A Couple of thoughts for you on it. Uh, with the book. It is a short book, so it will not be a lengthy study in terms of Pastor Dan. It might be lengthy in terms of the book and that you might think it'll end in three weeks. You're kidding yourself. Okay, it will be short. It's only three chapters. But I want you to understand a number of things in relationship to it. First of all, it's a very practical book. It is dealing with the life of the local assembly in chapter one particularly. It is a book that deals with our family life and our personal life particularly in chapter two. And then in chapter three it deals with particularly our life in relationship to the government or to the political scene. So it is dealing with those areas that we are affected by all the time. It is very encouraging, I believe, the book, and it's encouraging, I believe, primarily for this reason, to encourage believers to take a stand, to take a stand on their beliefs, to stand up for what they know is right. And I think you will see that throughout the book, at least I hope you will do so. Today, if we are honest with what is around us, there are very few that are willing to stand for what they say they believe in. For example, there are not many that will call sin for sin. They will call it diseases. They will call it influences. They will talk about the surrounding circumstances. And I'm talking about believers as well. But they don't want to call sin for sin. They don't want to deal with issues such as male and female relationships and its effect on our society. They don't want to deal with the role of sin and uh, the role of people's marriage in what the male and female roles should be. That has been obliterated today. And they don't want to talk about it. And, and we're de- dealing in the 21st century and marriage relationships and and what a woman or a man should do or should not do is a no-no to be talking about and in fact in higher levels what is said is wake up, we're in the 21st century, many of the things that you want to talk about uh, archaic and not relevant to our society today and church leadership and the way it should be structured. I just had a conversation with a gentleman this past week, and I shared that a little bit I think with the men yesterday, but this past week in relationship to leadership and who should be leading a church and, and, and why. And we don't want to take stands often on those things and we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to lack political correctness. And just to deal with it relevant to you as I try to study and prepare, and even as I'm saying this to you, I try to be aware of as best I can without getting too deeply into it. I try to be aware of the world that I'm also living in, whether you think that's so or not. And I want to give you a, a real example of this. If you were not aware of it or have not heard, there's a pastor from Atlanta by the name of Louis Giglio. Now, that name may not mean anything to most of you, or maybe very few of you. But I want you to know that he had been invited to close the presidential inaugural in a few weeks or a week or whatever it is with the benediction. And the only reason I'm bringing him up is because he has now been disinvited and he will not be closing in the benediction just in case you didn't know that. Why? Because in looking into the background of that pastor it was discovered that almost 20 years ago that man spoke publicly against homosexuality and that is the specific and because they discovered that almost 20 years ago he spoke against that and it is not politically correct, he will not be speaking in closing the benediction for the inaugural in this country. Because of such things as this, there are pastors and there are leaders who are also afraid, and I talked to some, who are afraid, (coughs) excuse me, to address any subject that will deal with such matters as I have just spoke about. Because they are controversial, And in dealing with subjects that are controversial, people may leave the church, people may get confused, and so subjects like that get avoided. And I'm only saying that because one of the purposes in writing the book of Titus (coughs) was for Paul to encourage Titus to stand for what he believed. And I believe that is true of all Christians that we are to know what we believe and we are to stand for it. The book is also very insightful, I believe, in the area of good works. As believers, we throw that around a lot. You are not saved by good works. Absolutely correct. This book will say that. Does good works have a place at all? Yes, they do. And in fact, I do believe that believers in general have a tendency to minimize the concept of good works. Within the book of Titus, we will see that small book that six times that subject is addressed by Titus, of how important it is to see that the Christian life has good works in it, not for salvation, but as evidence of the reality of it. I also believe that it is important, if you look at the outline for today, and we will not accomplish all of the outline that I have in the bulletin. I was well aware of that even as I studied. But I do think it's important for us, in order to get a better understanding of the letter that we're going to study, and to properly and rightly divide it. And when I say that, if you're not familiar with that concept, it is to cut it straight. It is to understand it in its context, and it is to understand it as it was intended, because if we don't do that, you can quote scripture, you can read any book of scripture, and you can have your own concepts of it, and it's very easy to misuse verses within a book. And to, one of the reasons for expositional study would be to go through the book verse by verse and understand what it's saying so we can rightly divide it. And also to properly apply it and give it its relevance I believe to do that we need to spend some time in history. Now you may or may not be interested in that, but I will be looking at three areas before I go through the exposition of the book, and they are outlined in your bulletin. I want to deal with the relationship historically between the writer of the epistle, that is Paul, and the recipient of the epistle, and that is Titus. And that's the title of today's message when you look at it in your bulletin, and that is the evidence of the work of God. After that, we want to go into a little bit of background as to how our epistles came together, and I hope you will appreciate that when I deal with that. And then lastly, background to the book itself, and having set that groundwork, then I feel personally, as I have studied, that we will be better prepared to understand the book that we will be studying for a number of months together. So first of all, background to this unusual relationship. The power of God, as was interesting enough, Pastor Chris did not see my notes. The power of God, first of all, is seen in the gospel. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? All of this is relevant for us as well as the study of Titus. It is the power of God and the gospel that changes lives. It is not our intelligence. It is not our education. It is not the wisdom of man. And that is why for every one of us, I and you alike, it is very possible to be used by God and to be used in the changing of another life as we use the gospel, as we Proclaim the mystery that came from God. And I want you to see it because Romans chapter 1 in verse 16, that's exactly what is said. Paul, (coughs) excuse me, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why was he not ashamed? Why would he not back down? Why would he not be afraid of what people might think of him? (coughs) Excuse me. He gives you the reason. For it, that is the gospel. It is the power of God. Where is the power seen? It's in the good news. It's in the gospel. Explanation. For salvation to everyone who believes. And he said it is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we will see that in this relationship with Paul and Titus. It is the power of God that changes a life. It is the gospel. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You're most familiar with these verses I know, but hopefully it'll remind you. So there's throughout the week this week, as you have opportunity to talk to neighbors, maybe family members, maybe co-workers, that you realize what they need to hear is the good news. They need to hear the gospel because that's where God's power will work. And in 1 Corinthians chapter one, just verses 21 through 25. For since, I want you to see this, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Please get that down. It will never come to know God through worldly wisdom. It'll never happen. He says, God was well pleased through what appears to be foolishness here, God was well pleased through foolishness of the message preached. What is that? The good news. The gospel. To save those who believe. God has chosen the mechanism that as we, and you and I, have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what people need to hear. That is what truly will change a life. God uses that to bring them to believe to bring them to salvation. If you're saved here today, somewhere, somehow, the gospel was brought to you, the Holy Spirit opened up your heart, and you came to believe it. You came to trust in it. That is the power of God that changes a life. He goes on and says, for indeed the Jews, they are asking for signs. They were the Old Testament, and I'll talk about that in the second area. But they had the, the Word of God, they had the oracles of God, and they were looking for signs. The Greeks or the Gentiles search for wisdom. Rather than the Old Testament books, they would have been looking for man's wisdom as he discovers the universe and figuring that would give them answers. But, verse 21, we preach Christ crucified. And that is true today in the 21st century in 2013. What do we preach? It should be Christ crucified. Now that presents a problem. To the Jews it's a stumbling block. They cannot see a Messiah being crucified. What about to the Gentiles? To the Gentiles it's absolutely foolishness. Don't be surprised by your relatives or by anyone when you tell them that Jesus Christ was crucified for their sins and through the crucifixion we can find eternal life it sounds like foolishness. It sounds absolutely dumb to them. But, watch, to those who are the called, and you'll hold on to that, not for today, but when we start our exposition of the book. For those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, there it is, and the wisdom of God. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed when you're talking with somebody to say that Jesus is the one way, the truth, and the life. Do not be ashamed of saying that you are a sinner and you need one who died and paid the penalty and price for sin. Why? Because that is the power of God. That is, according to this verse, also the wisdom of God. And that is what brings salvation, not man's wisdom, not man's philosophy because the foolishness of God is wiser than men verse 25 and the weakness of God is stronger than men so it is not man's philosophy as well as social reform is good social reform will not bring people in line with Christ or God you can change this world and make the environment better and make it a green planet and help with the economy economic reform, as well, will not bring people to Christ. We can talk and debate that to a blue in the face. We can look smart and wise to those that we talk to as we talk about social change and as we talk about economic change. Those things are good. But understand that is not the power of God and it is not what will bring people into a right relationship with Him. Neither will technology. Again, technology is a wonderful thing. And if we took all the wisdom and philosophy of the world and all of the books ever written by men and put it all together, men and women alike, it would not bring people closer to God. All it might make them is moral sinners, which is kind of a no-nonsense type of talk. That's all it would do. It is the gospel, and so those things may be good, but it cannot give people a proper understanding of to who God is. It cannot bring a person into a right relationship with God, neither can it change the heart. The only thing that can is the gospel, and we see that in both the writer and the recipient of this epistle, and I wanted to make it simple for you this morning. Paul, who is going to be the writer behind the epistle we will study, was a Jewish leader. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, please, chapter 3. Many of you I know have this information and know it well. Others may not. But Philippians, chapter 3. Paul had all of the right connections. Paul had all of the right privileges, all of the right Genealogy, verse 4 of chapter 3. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, now watch this. This is pretty bold. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Why? He tells you. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law a pharisee he's pretty clear i have the right genealogy i belong to the right nation i have followed the law and i know it well That's what he's saying none of that could bring paul into a right relationship with god that is the way people think if i'm in the right church or if i'm in the right family if i've got the right parents if i read the right books if I do the right things, it'll bring me into a right relationship. Paul says, if you want to look at anybody, look at me. I had everything that was right. How about zeal? Look at verse 6. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless, he says. "It's Pretty straightforward. Paul says, I did everything that the law asked for. You talk about the Ten Commandments, Paul not only knew them, he said he did them. When it came to the church he persecuted it. He had such a zeal for the things of God. However, he did not know God. And he did not know God, and God took a man, what would take a man that would persecute the church, what would take a man that was relying on his own good works, his own genealogy, and everything else? It was the gospel. When you go to verses 7 and 9 it says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. He had persecuted the church. He was a hater of those who would look to a crucified Messiah. He was one looking for those signs that we talked about. For whom I have suffered now the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, having not a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, that is, good works, religion, all of the man's philosophies, but that which is through what? Faith, belief in Christ, the righteous which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's a pretty bold statement. If anyone had the right life, if anyone had the right connections, if anyone had the right job, if anyone had the right wealth, and he did, he had it all. None of that could bring him in a right relationship with God, the one true God. It was only the gospel. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Why all of this is a background to Titus. Because Paul is the writer, and in writing, I want you to see that this was a man that persecuted the church. This was a man who was religious. This was a man who had everything the world could give him. But he didn't know God, and it was the same thing, the gospel. And here, we just read in Philippians that he persecuted the church. Now look at, I'm not going to go into his actual conversion. You can look at that on your own in chapter 9. But I want you to jump down to verse 11. It says, And the Lord said to me, Get up. Go to the street called Straight, now this is Ananias, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. This one is the writer of this epistle that we will study. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come to him and lay his hands on him. But Ananias, he had an objection. He answered, verse 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. What is going on? And the Lord goes on to say, He's a chosen instrument, verse 15, for me. And after he comes down, jump ahead, go down to verse 19. And well, I should go back to 18. And immediately after Ananias gets to him, there fell from his eyes, that is Saul, something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. He's a religious man now, Is baptized as an older man. He took food, was strengthened. And now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying that he's the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name? And who has come here for the purpose of bringing him bound, them bound before the chief priests? What did they do to Saul? Saul kept increasing in strength and confounded the Jews, lived in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. That is a changed life. That is a Jewish man, the writer of this epistle that we will study, whose life was changed totally by the gospel. What about Titus? Well, Titus, the recipient of the letter, first of all, it's interesting, his name is not even in the book of Acts. You would think if he was a companion of Paul, uh, Saul converted to Paul, that we would read a lot about him in Acts. We don't. There is very little known about him. In fact, in our New Testament, there are only 13 references to his name, nine of which are contained in the Corinthian letters, 2 Corinthians, some of which you read in the response of reading this morning. However, we do know some things about Titus, what do we know and what can we assume from the information that is given to us? I opened up in Galatians for a reason. If you go back to Galatians chapter two, we find out that he was a Gentile. He was not like Paul. And that's why I'm talking about at the beginning this unusual relationship, the handiwork of God. He could work in a man like Paul, who was a Jew, who had the law who had all the scriptures, who had the right background, who persecuted the church, and because of the gospel could change that man to one who persecuted those who would believe in Jesus Christ to a preacher of the name of Jesus Christ. And he could take a man like Titus, who is a Gentile. If you look at verse 1, you see that he is there with Paul, of Galatians chapter 2, and in verse 3 it says specifically, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek. Now we just read in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God that's able to go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And as we pick up this letter from Titus, you know, what in the world is going on here? You've got a Jewish man who is a partner with a Greek man because the gospel has changed both a Jew and a Greek from people who did not know God to people who love God and are working for the same cause. Does it sound like Fellowship Bible Church? I think so. He has taken people like you on this side, people like you on this side, people like me in the pulpit, people like those that are serving in the nursery, that are those that are serving in junior church, to people in the back hall, the people in those rooms, who didn't know one another, and it is only through the gospel that he has bought people, people from different backgrounds to be involved in the body of Christ to be part of the body of Christ to be one in him and to be working because they know working together because they know God because they have been changed from the inside out that is the power of the gospel when i was a teenager i looked forward to hitting home runs in the south common hoping to hit a white church across the street. True story. I used to enjoy taking rocks and throwing them at that white church. In that white church was Pastor Stringer preaching the gospel. (laughs) Today, I am standing in the pulpit that's a result of that church and its growth in the gospel. Today, you are sitting in this church if you are saved, because of the gospel. And there are things that we have in our past and things that we would never comprehend were possible. But God is able to take and change the life from the inside out, and I bring us back to the gospel, because now the recipient of this letter is a man who is a Greek, not like Paul at all. But we know that he was probably, go with me to Titus chapter 1. He was probably a personal, and I say probably, the exam, uh, the language isn't exact enough to determine it, but I think it's pretty close. He was probably a convert of Paul. How do you know? Titus chapter 1 verse 4, we'll expound on it in detail later, but it says to Titus, my true child in the common faith. Just like what? I became a convert of Pastor Stringer, I ended up attending a Bible study. Little did I know, he was the one that was pastoring the church I was throwing rocks at. Heard the gospel, and I became a disciple of Christ because of that. Titus became a Greek, was a Greek, and became a disciple, a child of God, probably through the ministry of Paul. He is a fellow worker of Paul. He was a dear companion with you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 23. 2 Corinthians 8 23. As for Titus, this is one of the nine appearances, he is my partner, Paul says. What? Yes. Watch this. And fellow worker among you, the Corinthian believers. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. This man was a worker with Paul. A Jew? Yeah. And a Gentile? Yes. Total different spectrums. A minister to the Corinthian church. And we know further from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 throughout other verses there that you can look at on your own, he was sent by Paul to Corinth. He gave a report on the condition that was going on the Corinthian church. He was sent with one of the letters that went to Corinth that we have. He was with Paul in Rome. We learn that from the scriptures and was sent according to 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, to Dalmatia by the apostle Paul. The Point is this, Titus, a Greek, unlike the Jewish man Paul, was a trusted, a capable companion of the apostle Paul. And he was a leader that was given a great responsibility by the Apostle Paul, possibly even second only to Timothy. We're not sure of that, but that's how Paul puts him in his writings. How is that possible? Because of the great work of God. And really, while we're going to get into Titus, and I haven't gone into the background of the epistles yet, or really the background in Titus as far as the epistle itself, What I was hoping you'd grasp this morning is this, again, the power of the gospel, and how God brings people together, and how God brings people to work together, who didn't know one another, one of which maybe persecuted the other, one of which had nothing to do with that type of person, and you're looking at them in the pews, and you're looking at them in the pulpits. Why tell us that, Pastor Dan? Because we are ministers of the gospel of God. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God is able to do a marvelous work among people when we stay faithful to giving out the gospel. And yes, to be quite literal, we have had teens in this neighborhood that have come in and thrown things at this church. We have had neighbors in this neighborhood who did not want this building ever to come into existence. We have young people in our own midst that maybe do not want anything to do with the Lord. Maybe some of them are your own children. Don't give up. Give the gospel. Get in the neighborhoods. Let's give the gospel. It is the power of God. What is able to bring them on board? What is able to bring them into the family of God? We, maybe the, we know spouses. Maybe you know friends. Maybe you know family members. And they want nothing to do with God. In fact, they hate him. And they hate you. And they hate everything you stand for. It's okay. Give them the gospel. Because the gospel is able to change the life. And wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord tarries 10 years from now... To have someone else in this church stand up and say, You know, <laughs> I threw snowballs at Fellowship Bible Church in Methuen. And now I'm saved in preaching the gospel. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. This letter that we will talk about before it ever came into existence was the result of God working behind the scenes in a man who hated the church of Jesus Christ and had all the proper connections, and knew everything about the word of God, but didn't know God. And another man who had nothing to do with that life, who was in a different part of the world, who basically was of a Greek background, and God in two marvelous situations worked in the life through the power of the gospel in a Jew and a Gentile, and brought them together in the work of God in a marvelous way. He's doing that in the likes of you and I. He's doing it in your families. He's doing it in your neighborhoods. He's doing it in the Merrimack Valley. And he's doing it throughout the world. You know, Joyce here this morning will be sharing tonight and part of the fruit of her family's life and probably at least some respect this ministry here and God working the gospel and now serving in Brazil with people she never knew before. People she never knew, and is witnessing the power of the gospel there. We've had other graduates. We've had other some of your children. Maybe didn't even go to the school. That's not I'm not focusing just on the school. But you have had influence in, and God has used you, and now they've come to know Christ, and they're in another part of the world. That is the work of God. That's why we're here. We're here to study the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, to work together for the cause of Christ so that the gospel can go forward and lives can be changed for the glory of God. Might God use us? And as we get prepared to get into the background to this epistle and we get to study it, might we not lose focus on this first thing I'm trying to get across to you. And that is that this epistle is even the result of God using two people in two totally different circumstances by the power of the gospel to bring them together for the work of God. And that's what he's doing here. Let's close in prayer. Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the wisdom of God. There isn't any way that I would ever as a man or probably anyone in this room ever think of accomplishing a work like you did through the apostle Paul and Titus, by taking people from different backgrounds, one of which was very religious, the other who was of Greek descent, one whose basic structure relies on the wisdom of man, the other who relies on the religion of man, and changed their lives totally from persecutors of the church and haters of the things of God to people that understood the wisdom of God and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, right here in this room, you've done that in the lives of many of these folks. Thank you and praise you that you're still working and that the gospel of Christ is still the power of God. Father, there's some in this room that have yet to come to Christ. And I pray that you'd help them to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only power that will break their heart and bring them in a right relationship with you. And we pray, Father, that you would change those lives, that they would be part of working within the body of Christ for the glory of God and have a life changed. And, Father, for those of us that you brought to Christ, might we work together for the glory of God, not with eyes focused on what we're doing, what others are doing or not doing, but, Father, on what you are doing in a marvelous way as you continue to build your church.